Hey listeners, I'm Adam, and this is Can I Ask You a Question, a podcast where anyone is welcome to join me for an episode to share their thoughts on a topic of their choice. I'm looking forward to hearing new opinions and perspectives, and hopefully becoming a bit more open-minded along the way. If you're interested in joining me for a future episode, feel free to check out the sign-up link in this episode's description. This episode is brought to you by the Everyday App. Technically, this is an ad, but the Everyday app has honestly been super helpful for me, and I wouldn't partner with a company if I didn't genuinely believe in the product. So, what does the app do? It basically helps you track your habits so that you can see your progress over time. There's a common business saying, what gets measured gets managed. Like I said, it usually applies to businesses, keeping track of things like their sales and customer satisfaction, but I think it's just as relevant for personal goals too. It sounds like a simple concept for an app, but I've personally found it to be super effective in helping create new habits. The app lets you add whatever habits you're currently working on building. For me right now, some of those include reviewing my to-do list each day uh, so that I stay on top of the things I want to get done. Another one is going to the gym, and another one is limiting my time on Twitter to five minutes a day. The app lets you add three habits for free, so you can see if you find it helpful. If you soon realize you want to track more than three habits, like I eventually did, the paid version lets you track unlimited habits and has other cool features, and it's pretty good value in my opinion. There's a link in the episode description that gets you 10% off. All right, let's jump into today's conversation. Uh, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm good to jump in. Cool. Uh, all right, so yeah, thanks thanks for doing this. Thanks for Thanks for agreeing to come on the podcast. Um, I want to, so I'll start off by just asking you, I guess there was two questions I had the, the second one, I think I'm more interested in. So I'll ask you that to start. So how should I decide if remote work is right for me? So I think there's like interesting questions around remote work and like whether it's right for someone and then like balancing that as well, like if it's right for the workplace. Um, so, so I guess, are you asking me that question? Or are you saying like, <laughs> Oh, that's the question that I want to ask you. Like, should I jump into my answer now or? Uh, yeah, sorry. I wasn't clear, but uh, it was a bit of both. So yeah, I'm, I'm okay. curious. I'm curious your answer or your thoughts. Yeah, so yeah. Let's, let's do the remote work one. Do you want to start from the beginning? Sure. Sure. Okay, uh, cool. So you're, you're saying that the set, like, how should I decide if remote work is right for me? Yeah. That's the one that I want to do. Okay. So yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So I think there's a number of things like I'm a huge advocate of remote work. And like one of the reasons why I chose this question specifically was because I actually for the last year have been like majority work from home. So in the company that I worked at uh, for my first basically two and a half years, I worked uh, in the office nine to five and, uh, you know, had to be there, drove 45 minutes each way and then um, drove back home. Uh, And, you know, I I just kind of I always felt this sense of like, especially when there would be like Fridays in the summer or something that we could work from home. Like, why can't we just do this every day? And then when I switched to my job, where I was working from home for most of the day uh, or most of the week rather, uh, and only really having to go in like once a week. Um, like I found I was a lot more productive, a lot more autonomous. Um, and uh, like, so I think with that and my own personal experience and some of the like, you know, research and, and other reading that I've been doing, I kind of think that if you're the kind of person who wants to be really autonomous, and cares more about the productivity and the output of what you're working on rather than uh, what I'll call like posturing in the organization um, and, you know, trying to like look good in meetings or whatever. Um, I think remote work uh, works really well. So, you know, if you're a software engineer, especially where it's like all creation, all output, that's something that's great. If you're like a video editor or like a filmmaker or a writer or something like that, uh, remote work is great. I think it gets a little bit tougher if you're like, I don't know, an executive at a company or something like that. And a lot of it is about, you know, outside the meeting conversations and that type of thing. But I also think that that kind of, you know, behavior and corporate culture 
is leftover of like from an era where work from home wasn't even an option. And that if we were to you know, start over today and have a bunch of different companies um, be, you know, remote work first and then think about the office as secondary, I think they would eliminate a lot of those kind of bad habits or um, not bad habits, but like the, those cultural norms around how business gets done. Whereas if you have like positive constraints of the only communication that you have is being from your home you start to like focus more on the output and the productivity rather than the type of conversation or who's in the room or whatever so so that's like kind of my umbrella view i mean like we can talk about the you know the specific situations where maybe in office work is better and there are some arguments that like you know you hamper creativity if you if people aren't in the office but i think for the most part, the majority of work can be done from home um, and maybe like lightly augmented with uh, some in-office presence. So when you were working from home, were, were most of the people you were working with, were they also remote or were they in the office? Uh, it was a mix. So I was in like a functional role where I was like supporting and like interacting with people across different divisions of the organization. So like my team, we all sort of did the same thing, but supported different areas of the company. So even though I like work directly with my team or like my manager uh, who's on the same team, um, like, like we didn't need to interface with one another all that much. It was more about interacting with others. So to answer your question, my whole team was um, remote and work from home. But a lot of the folks that I worked with, especially like internal people like marketing, which is my old role, um, or sales was actually work from home majority, but would be on like in the office on different days. Um, like there was there was a mix and like it was challenging at times because like across different teams, norms were just different. Like people would like you know, it, it would be harder for people who had a bit more regimented of a schedule and who were coming into the office every day to just hop on a call versus if I know I'm talking to someone who's like at home, it's a lot easier for me to just call them up because like I know they're in front of their computer or if they don't answer, like maybe they're on a different call or something like that. It was a little bit more flexible. Um, so yeah. How, how different do you think the experience is working remotely when like the entire company is remote? versus you're one of the few remote people like do you think it's a very different experience I, I can imagine like if most people are in the office there's there's more FOMO and you could you could feel like you're missing out on what's going on totally and I definitely was like more shielded from like office gossip and like you know who's going to be promoted next and like uh all all that type of thing and I wasn't as exposed to it but I actually think that was a little bit better so even though I had FOMO my like you know probably mental health and relationship with my work was, was a little bit better um so that's like point one back to your question on like what if the whole company is remote versus just a few people are remote um i think it does create a cultural difference if those norms aren't agreed upon as being like more or less valuable so like for instance the people who were in office every day kind of um like at least a few of them, not everyone, maybe saw the people who were working from home, they, they would say things like, what do they do all day if they're not here? Uh, like, what are they actually working on? I have no visibility into that. And it kind of seemed like maybe they weren't as productive or hardworking, even though they were just in a different location with access to like all the exact same software tools that the other people are using or the people who are in office are using. So, um, so yeah, so that was an interesting, kind of cultural divide but i think you know if you had an organization where it was established that hey this portion of people work remotely and you don't interact with them every day um and you know it's just like it, it works better with the nature of their job i think you can that's a little bit of an antidote to that like i even think about when i was in marketing and we worked with a bunch of different external ad agencies in a lot of ways they kind of felt like a different like division of our company because we worked with them so much, but we weren't in the same office and yet things still went really smoothly. And we went to their office when they would need to show us a big presentation or whatever. But um, for the most part, everything was done remotely and like via status, weekly status calls and that type of thing. I think if 
everyone's remote, that creates a really interesting dynamic because you don't have that existing rapport with people that you can kind of use as a launch pad for better remote work. So, you know, when I would have like my weekly one-to-ones with my boss, those are the times where I felt like we connect and like get to know each other so that when we were outside the office, we knew one another was being productive and could work together. Um, whereas, uh, you know, if you think about a company like Basecamp, which is like super famous for being like completely remote, um, I, I was reading earlier today that I think they have to spend four weeks in person together to build those relationships. They specifically like built, facilitate opportunities for people who haven't met or connected in person to do so. So I thought that was kind of an interesting antidote, but you definitely don't build the same level of rapport with people, um, which I think can be tough. But then again, like, do you really need that rapport to do good work? And should work be such a source of community in our lives? Or is that actually like a limiting factor, you know, keeping us somewhere where maybe we don't like love the work or we're not necessarily being fulfilled, but we're there um for the community and it's kind of cannibalizing the other community elements of lives. so i know i kind of went on like a big uh you know uh spiral there but uh i think i covered all four of these questions yeah no no base camp is interesting uh i was also looking up i was watching a video on gitlab i don't know too much about them but yeah it was a video from it was a video from 2017 and uh one of the, their founder was saying at at the time, they had 160 employees, and they were all all 160 were in a different location. So I guess like Basecamp, and they were like they're big advocates of it. But they also said they get together once a year, kind of for a retreat, similar to what you described with Basecamp getting together for four weeks. Uh, so I guess I guess you still these companies feel like they still need some sort of in person aspects. Yeah, exactly. Because I think like people have to like people treat corporations, even though they're like legal fiction, in their like in their minds, they treat them as real things, right? So I think people have to have experiences to inculcate them as something real, um, even if there's no building and like all this exists on paperwork and over Zoom calls and over emails. Like I think people need some kind of experience to draw like I even think about you know extracurricular activities at school very few extracurricular activities had their own dedicated space that they had you would just meet with your team whenever it was necessary or like during the summer when you can't all be on campus you do a lot of planning then um I kind of feel like it's the same way and somehow you know when like if it's like a conference or speakers channel or whatever when it comes somehow it, it all works out right and that's the memory you have even if there isn't like a place or a lot of time actually spent face to face with one another. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It thinking about it now, I think you're right. It is it is similar to like clubs at school. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's really interesting. And like I even think about like an industry like management consulting as well, where if you think about it, it's eighty percent remote work. If you're gonna be on the road four days a week and you're only gonna be in the office one day a week and like usually that day is spent just like socializing and like catching up with people from your office it, it's kind of like and that industry is probably in the i mean i haven't you know a lot of their revenues are private but it's like in the multi-billions right uh and but that's not traditional remote right because they're going to the client yeah that's true that's a good point it's not like they're working remotely from the client yeah uh like like it's not like they're staying in their respective city and like working with the client somewhere else so it would be interesting to see what they're doing now during COVID-19 but um but yeah, yeah do you do you know have you heard from like any I, friends I, I've heard from a couple people that they're doing it all over zoom because they, they've limited all travel of course but that the productivity is not as high I think it's different too just depending on like the, the management consulting is so like broad reaching I feel that it's probably so depends on like the kind of case or whatever that you're working on um so yeah, I don't know, but that's but that's a good point that they are still like they still need for the most part pre COVID nineteen we're in some physical space working with someone. It wasn't like a hundred percent from, um, but kind of in between maybe. Do you do you think they might be one of the? I'm wondering if they're going to be one of the first industries to adopt it, 
like after this, just because when you think about the cost of uh, companies paying for the consultants travel, like it's yeah. insane. Right. Um, so I guess they have to be able to justify that the value, the value of being in person versus over zoom uh, pays off that cost of, of the flights and the hotels and everything. hundred percent. I think like at the end of the day, it comes down to like what their goal is. And like, you know, if they really need to concentrate on client relationships and you have to be in person to do that, um, I feel like they, they wouldn't skimp on it, but for like maybe more regular consulting work, like it or like operations consulting or something like that, um, that, it's a little bit less about client relationships at the like analyst level or or what are basically at the entry level. Um, you, I wouldn't be surprised if they did some kind of marginal cost versus like marginal billable hours um, to understand like what the optimal travel level is. Um, not to use too much jargon, um, <laughs> but uh, but. Yeah, like that. That it's, is it's exactly right. That's exactly what consultants would do, though. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, but it's interesting because I think the air travel discussion is something that is like broadly applicable to a lot of different industries uh, where it's a where it's a pretty high cost. And like, I'm sure there are a ton of organizations that are you know are used to sending employees to conferences or whatever. And depending on how long this, this pandemic and the social distancing lasts, if they notice no real difference in their productivity or can like offer, you know, 70% of the same educational resources delivered via their computer screen, um, I don't see why they'd continue spending. Like I think there's going to be a dramatic decline. It's going to take years to overcome. Like even Buffett dumped all his airline stuff. Yeah. Um, in Berkshire Hathaway and I I trust he's my like wise elder of the market so I I, I trust what he does and says. yeah it's pretty cool what is he like 87 now or something like that yeah something like that I I wanted to go to the annual meeting this year but uh I never bought any stock a and b COVID-19 but I'm like <laughs> I gotta go before before you know he he bites the dust Someone, so maybe that's just me being a huge nerd. Someone from school went. I can't remember who. Oh, really? It might have been Peter Diloco. I, I can't remember. I remember seeing someone from school a while back there went to one of the meetings. Mm. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah, I don't think I know that person, but uh, <laughs> I feel like it would be a lot of fun. Do you, So with COVID, do you think it's going to accelerate a shift towards remote work or do you see in any ways of having like the opposite effect where I don't know some people it was kind of thrown on companies and maybe they felt they, it was unproductive like I don't know what do you think I think it's going to depend a lot on like the organizational structure and culture and norms right like it, from what I understand, like doing a bit of reading and like talking to folks, the tech companies adapted extremely quickly because so much of their work is done virtually and they're extremely fast moving um, as well and very quick at decision making. There's a little bureaucracy. So I think that type of organization is going to do really well. I think that like, you know, a manufacturing company that whose CEO came up in like the height of like 80s Wall Street and like is waiting to retire five years from now with their stock options like that kind of company is i mean and i'm just like sort of building a caricature um but i think that kind of company is going to have a lot more difficult of a time because like in that type of culture you know face time is really important and decision making is really important. so i think i don't think all companies are are you know thriving or going to notice like a significant um uh like er everybody's having growing pains but i think the ones that will emerge successful are the ones that can um come through this like for instance i saw uh that open text which is like a canadian tech company is going to be shuttering i think 75 percent of their office space post-covid because they're noticing no discernible drop in productivity 
which is really interesting. So, and maybe they're just an outlier and maybe, you know, more technologically sophisticated companies are just like a better fit for this working style. But like, I, I just can't imagine people saying, you know, oh, it's lower cost for like virtually the same levels of productivity. Let's go back to the old way. Like it kind of feels like how people talked about Netflix. Like, oh, people will always go to movie theaters um, and people don't want to watch like blockbuster grade or uh, like beautifully artistic indie films from their couch at home. But like, you know, it turns out they did, but that's like, you know, they also like to go to movie theaters for certain events if they want to go see the new Avengers movie. So like, I don't think it's so binary that it's going to go one way or the other. Um, but I can't imagine that, you know, we'll, we'll pull back so quickly. And I think there are all these like other extraneous benefits as well. Like I saw this great tweet yesterday of like what a $2.5 million home looks like in um, San Francisco versus $2.5 million home in Columbus, Ohio. And it was like a like three or four bedroom bungalow in San Francisco. And then like a giant mansion in Columbus. And it's like, if you're a software engineer somewhere like Airbnb, and you're like, you know, I hate the San Francisco traffic. Um, cost of living is insane. I'm going to go move to middle America or uh, maybe back home to Canada uh, if they're Canadian. Um, and wh where the cost of living is significantly lower, but I'm still providing the same amount of value. So I'm going to be paid the same, but live like a dramatically increased lifestyle. I see that also being like a big motivating factor um, for why employees kind of now have a little bit more bargaining power for, um, or at least have been forced into the experience of remote working. So we'll want to capitalize on its benefits more. So do you think it's gonna, you think it's gonna reverse the trend uh, of people kind of moving into urban and now maybe people shift away from cities? I, I think so. For I mean, you know, I'm not an expert on kind of epidemic psychology, but I think like people, this is, COVID-19 is going to cause like a big cultural change for people in that, you know, they're not going to be want to be in like densely populated areas where they can be infected really quickly or be infected really easily or be super limited in what they can do. Like even now for me, I would go, go biking uh, in the park across the street from me and like use that as a way to get to the bike path, but it's been totally blocked off during COVID-19. It's not like I have a backyard. It's not like I can use my exercise room in my apartment. So like, I think that's like one reason, but I think the other reason is, is it could be really interesting that like maybe we'll get more community building outside urban areas because, you know, you can have people that are making like, you know, $500,000 a year living two hours from the city, but still, you know, doing their job just as well. And, you know, if they choose to build a big house, that gives jobs to like construction workers in the area or, um, and if they spend more at like coffee shops, like it basically, they, they help the local economy more. So I think you can use see this like resurgence in kind of secondary cities or like um, robust communities outside of uh, the main urban area. So, so yeah, I mean that that would be the ideal uh for some people. Yeah, no, I'm I'm curious because I definitely agree with you like one of the main reasons for the shift from rural to urban living is is jo has been jobs and the concentration yep. of jobs. So I I could see it at least slowing down if not reversing, but there is still like benefit I'm just trying to think how much how much of the reason for the shift to urban has been jobs versus the other benefits you get from being in a big city center, like the diversity of like the, the options for food and entertainment and everything else. Yeah, that's where I think it like my theory kind of breaks down. Um, but like if cities are majority comprised of young people, let's say, right? Uh, I don't know the statistics uh, right off like the back of my hand, but like they're making an assumption that like there's a very, like there's a higher proportion of young people living in cities than in suburbs, right? And when I say young, I mean like age, you know, 18 to 35, let's say. So 
if you have those folks get a great job as a software engineer or management consultant or whatever, or even like a not so great job, but like an information technology um, type job that is concentrated in the city, um, if they're going to stay in that industry and and concentrate it and like where the job is concentrated around that specific geography, um, I think that it creates more incentive to stay beyond that age 35 uh, when when maybe you care a little bit less about like the art and the culture and the going out and you're a little bit more settled down and focused more on like um, building a family like for yourself. I think there are a lot of folks who like end up staying in the city just because of the proximity, even if they are in that settled down stage versus now there's like a little bit more of a choice. So, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, I really don't know. The other like kind of macro factor is beyond maybe like the top 5% millennial earners. Like a lot of millennials are super in debt from school and um, are much worse off in terms of opportunities than our parents. I think if a lot of them had the opportunity to live somewhere lower cost while still earning the same income, they would take that bet, even if they're not as close to the cool stuff. Um, especially if you think about like Uber Eats or like uh, ghost kitchens or um, the like availability of content that exists online on Netflix or your ability to like FaceTime your friends and even like during COVID-19 establishing those norms that like, Hey, on a Saturday, you can just hop on a zoom call with like, like 10 of your close friends. Um, I think with all of that, there's a substitution effect with all the benefits of the big city. So, so yeah, so I'm not fully decided, but I think there's a few different compelling alternatives. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. The cheaper living cost is going to be a big motivator for people. And companies that are remote should be able to pay their employees even more, right? So you could potentially make more money because like I was calculating the cost of like per person, the cost of like the office space per person at like in downtown Toronto. And I calculated it's like 30K roughly just to have really? like, like per wow. person. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess you take into account like the square footage and uh, like the the overhead costs and the operating costs and all that stuff. Yeah, um, like I just did I just did the math based on. I remember seeing something similar when I was at KPMG for one of the projects that it was also around like thirty k. But I just did the math for my office. I just took the the real estate commercial real estate co- uh, prices quoted per square foot in downtown Toronto, which. One thing I've never understood, it's like five times what um, residential is, which doesn't make sense to me. Like if they're in the same location, like I guess maybe maybe it's built better commercial buildings or there's more costs around like maybe it includes cleaning and different service things. But anyways, like I fu- from what I've seen, like the cost of real estate for commercial is way more expensive per square foot than residential even if there's residential in downtown but anyways i did the i did the math on just based on like the square footage of our building and it's like based on the number of people per floor it's like 30 25 to 30k a year per head which is just insane like exactly it's it's totally insane and like you know one one thing i've been thinking about too um because i and one of the reasons i chose this topic is because i started to write a medium article on this idea but then it ended up abandoning it and haven't finished it yet. Um, But I know it's only halfway done. So I need to finish it before this podcast is released. Um, (laughs) So, uh, and maybe it'll, you know, help me uh, add some uh, additional thoughts to it. But, you know, if you think about it, maybe one of the reasons why commercial real estate was so, uh, is valued so highly is because, you know, in the past, you'd have to go to the office because there's literally no substitute for the resources that you got at the office to do your work, right? Like I, like one of the terms that I kind of started using these articles, like the knowledge factory, right? So in the same way that in the industrial era, you would go to a factory and you'd literally have to have the machinery there to produce the widgets. Um, in basically up until effectively five years ago until the cloud computing revolution, you would have to go to the office so you, you could be close to server space 
You could be on the VPN, um, which is more secure. Um, you know, printing, people still use pen and paper um, and would like have binders of printed documents. Like there were all these, you know, actual tangible benefits that an office provided, which have all ineffectively outsourced by software and increased computing power. Right. So I think, you know, in the past, maybe you got this kind of synergy where it was like the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And that's why the commercial real estate is so valuable, especially in like downtown city center. You're close to your clients. You're close to your service providers, whatever. Um, uh, You're close to where you live if you're one of the top executives. Um, And that benefit just doesn't exist anymore because you can effectively do all of it from your laptop, right? Even like before a year ago or two years ago, before Zoom got really big, like even today, like FaceTiming with more than one person, like your phone slows down um, and and it sucks. It's a terrible experience. Um, Like I think if Zoom didn't exist, the work from home situation would be a lot more difficult. So all of that said, the like tangible benefits beyond like the kind of like even from like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like if you think about it, it's really only like fulfillment and relationship building that an office is necessary for because pure functions are no longer necessary, right? Um, so if, if that's the case and you can save a ton of money, like you could be so much more competitive with with hiring, uh, as you said. Uh, like if you have 30K extra and, and you know, maybe it's only... 2k extra cloud computing extra cloud computing cost for your per employee that's 28k more that you could pay them to secure them over a top company like a google or an amazon or whatever you know i think i think you're right um yeah i think everything you said makes sense like at at this point going to the office is purely for the community aspect um which can lead to greater productivity like there's an argument there that if people feel more comfortable um, with their coworkers and stuff, they're going to be more productive. Uh, I wonder like how much of that you can solve through remote work. It's just like you mentioned earlier, you'd have to create the norms for it. So for example, like in the office, you bump into people, you chit chat about the weekend, about their, their own lives, but maybe the norms just don't exist yet to like that that uh, spontaneous interaction can't exist online unless you like purposely, I don't know, you either have to like set up a zoom meeting for the purpose of just like chatting about the weekend or whatever. So I'll give you two examples. So Basecamp has this product feature on it called campfire where it's like the whole idea is that people like, you know, gather around the campfire and chat and it's more casual and they built a product around this, acknowledging that these human connections were important. A. Um, B, the founder of uh, Basecamp, I was listening to a podcast with him yesterday, and he was talking about how they have like kind of weekly social hour uh, where it's kind of like people can just hop on and off and like uh, talk to one another. I think he said there were games too, but I was, the reason I didn't say games is because um, my partner's company, um, since COVID, uh, since the COVID pandemic, uh, and everybody from her office is working from home, they've started on Friday afternoons at 3 p.m. that they uh, basically have happy hour where they play a game over um, the uh, over the internet, uh, like Pictionary or something like that. Um, and you know, they've created a norm that it's okay to like have a beer with you while you're doing that. Um, and where, where they wouldn't have been able to do it previously because their office is in Mississauga and everybody drove um, and commuted to the office. And uh, she said they have a good time. And like the, the call was scheduled is usually scheduled for only an hour. People go an hour and a half um, and catch up and that type of thing. So I think there are substitutes for it. But all of that said, like they still build on those existing relationships that they had in person. So I think the question is just like, how do you create like almost like those meaningful in-person experiences at the start of someone's experience that they can build off of later? Like, I don't know, like let's say you are a software engineer uh, and you get hired at some company, like you're a remote software engineer, you get hired, maybe the company pays for you to you know, fly to the city of your manager or fly to the city of the CEO and spend 
you know, a full two days onboarding with them or something like that to like really inculcate that relationship. And it still costs less than operating an office. Like yeah. little things like that. So GitLab. I think there are substitutions. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, GitLab, I think they, in the video I was watching, they go to like Mexico for for a week, for like a week every year to get to know each other. So yeah, to your point, like, if if the cost is thirty thousand dollars a head to be in an office for the year, uh, like for like a couple thousand dollars or a few thousand dollars, you could you could have each employee go to like an all inclusive and together and like really get to know each other and like yeah, I feel like that's that that'd be a cool option. Totally, I think the question is like there's this whole kind of like Google school of thought. So when Google started off, their idea was, you know, to keep everybody in the office as long as possible. Like, that's why they put the the free food and the free dry cleaning and all that stuff there. Um, because they were trying to maximize what they call creative collision. Uh, because they, you know, hired such smart people that, you know, they wanted them interacting and, you know, having debates and discussions and that type of thing. And I think that sort of creative productivity, it's a little bit harder to manufacture over zoom so i think the question of like does a remote working strategy work for you is depends a lot on your 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 business model and like what you're trying to achieve right like google especially in this early kind of dot-com era was trying well not really early dot-com era like post crash um but you know we're, we're trying to come up with the fact that like the products that were going to be the infrastructure of the internet, like the, the Gmail and Google Maps and like all that stuff. I think if your mission is like a little slightly less ambitious than that, which is like the majority of companies, you, you could probably you probably don't need that insane surge of creativity all the time, um, especially from like functional workers. Like, why do you need your regulatory or legal person in the same uh, city as you if like you're not working necessarily on like a creative new idea but maybe maybe I'm wrong maybe there is creativity in law and regulatory work and I'm just not being charitable enough um, but uh, but yeah I think it just depends on your business so do you you think that like if if you want to do something like really ambitious like Google you have to be in person because I'm thinking about what you were saying earlier, and I wonder if it's just the timing of when Google started. And Google is, I don't know, 20 plus years old now. They obviously couldn't have started as a remote work company. The technology to do so didn't exist. So I wonder if like the next Google is is going to be remote. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that's a really good point. And I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that uh, – like a lot of stuff that we've talked about and just like the emergence of these, you know, remote companies and just the fact that like the cultural norms, uh, like it's been so accelerated by this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, like I wouldn't be surprised. Right. And maybe it's about, you know, if you're in a situation where you want to talk to someone about this cool maps idea that you have, or you set up your weekly kind of brainstorming session, um, with people, like I'll give you an example, um, from my, so, for the MBA program that I may or may not be attending this um, upcoming fall, um, all, all the people who um, are admitted are in this Slack group and people are already like facilitating connections to talk about specific topics that they're interested in. I'm like, I've had multiple Zoom calls um, with people interested in kind of the same entrepreneurial spaces that I am as well. And we've been able to like hold each other accountable and like set goals with one another and uh, come up with different ideas and have really nuanced discussions. So, um, so maybe like it is still possible to, to have that. Right. Um, I mean, it's so hard to, to work on the counterfactual. Um, but I think too, with that, you have to be a lot more careful with who you hire. Right. Um, and the skills that you look for are totally different. Right. Because today, maybe you're looking for someone who can like at my previous company, which is um, like a little bit more traditional uh, as a consumer goods company. One thing they look for and like, you know, your ability to like, lead and communicate is your ability to like read a room and be able to understand um, 
like what is being said without being said and how to address that situation. On Zoom, it's a little bit harder to read people's um, emotions. So maybe the ability to like conduct an effective Zoom discussion becomes like a core skill um, or the kind of person that would initiate Zoom calls without being told to is the kind of person that you want to hire. So maybe a lot of it can just be solved with like a different selection and sourcing process for talent. Hmm. Interesting. I think, yeah, I think, I think I can definitely see that like, the skill sets that companies are looking for to your point changing from being able to read a room to facilitating like an online meeting uh being super important yeah like it's interesting because like Basecamp in their hiring process they focus a lot on people's writing ability because they're remote and so much of businesses of, of their work is done via um asynchronous communication so they're like now, we actually don't really care how well you answer a behavioral interview question. We care more like, can you write something quickly um, that's also succinct, clear, um, and like easily digestible because that's more important to their operations than being able to like tell a story in person, which is like kind of, it's really interesting, right? And I think it, it helps introverts thrive more because, you know, there were always those people in your class who, were really quiet, but like, you know, we'd get a hundreds on everything. And like, I even remember as a TA um, in school, there were people that I, I remember this one individual in particular who, you know, when I talked to, they were kind of shy and didn't say much and weren't super articulate and said like a lot, but like, I, I just, <laughs> um, but when I read their essay submission, I was like blown away and like it was a clear hundred percent grade. And I think it could be really interesting in helping people with different personality types and sets thrive that would not have thrived in a traditional office space. Um, so I don't know, just a theory, but I think there's compelling, at least logic to suggest that's the case. Uh, to, to your earlier point around, the Slack groups that you started and the entrepreneurship ones and stuff like that. I've had, I guess, a similar experience where like I, have you used meetup before meetup.com? Yes. Well, uh, I've, I made a profile and I never actually went to a meetup. Okay. But, um, but yeah, uh, like one, one thing. So I found like a, a, a book club one in Toronto that I started going to a bit late last year, which was cool. Um, and they obviously moved it to online now on zoom. And I was surprised that like, I still, I still enjoyed it. And I think there's definitely benefits in just like not having to commute there, like, especially, you know, in, in the winter time, if it's, if it's really nasty out, like not having to, to go out is, is definitely a benefit. The thing I'm most curious about, like how to have productive, at least for me, the the like video calls I like the most are ones where I'm focused and paying attention. And when it's virtual, it's so much easier for me to be doing other stuff on my laptop versus when you're in person, they're in front of you. So you, you have to like pay attention to them and you can't multitask without them knowing. Um, so I'm wondering if there'll be, if that's something that people just like, at least myself, I just need to, build that habit and, and realize for myself that I shouldn't be multitasking because that just doesn't work. Or if maybe there's going to be tools introduced that help with that somehow. I don't know. Well, so for instance, they're doing a lot of like panels uh, before like the start of the MBA program via Zoom uh, that they would have done on like their admitted students weekend. And one of the like norms they're setting up is that the attendees should have their cameras on so that the speakers are able to get feedback from the people they're talking to. So I think that creates accountability both ways. So I think, again, it kind of comes back down to that like cultural norms thing. And like, is there this new whole branch of etiquette that we have to develop in the same way that like, I don't know, maybe the 2000s and 2010s were about like texting and Instagram hashtags and there, there's a whole kind of, do linguistic framework around that, maybe that exists, that needs to be created for, for Zoom now. But I do agree. And I think one of the keys to 
staying engaged is to not having a day full of Zoom calls. Um, and like respecting that if we're going to be on the computer, especially for something that's informational and not necessarily interactive, why can't we just write it up or even like record it ourselves and send it out for someone to look at and watch later? Um, and maybe have tools that can like transcribe that really easily, or you can have it as a podcast on your phone. So if I don't know, if there's an important organizational update, you can like be exercising and listen to it. I don't know, like I'm just making this up, but I, I think there's a lot of room for improvement. Um, but I do get what you're saying in that like, I, cause I even think about when I was on conference calls at work, there'd be so many times where it would be like 3.30 in the afternoon and that's like some supplier giving their spiel and you just like kind of sit there like uh, like 20% tuned in and it's just not a fun experience. So, so yeah, I agree. That's, that's tough, but maybe the productivity gains from the lack of distractions from working at home make up for that. So, yeah. And maybe, maybe though it's, that's an indication that like we shouldn't be on those calls. Um, so to your point, like, I don't know it, that's a, I, I think you brought up like a good point for for company for company wide announcements and stuff where you're having hundreds of people on. Like, I like your idea of of if it's not something that needs to be interactive and they're just sharing information, either write about it, record it, or do a podcast so that people don't need to be sitting at their laptop for it. But um, for for conversations that are one on one or or small like this one video i think helps so much um when we when we so like at telus we we did remote some people did remote prior to covid um but we didn't do that much video so for meetings it was mainly just audio and i think you're right on just the mannerisms and stuff like that just picking up seeing if people are like if if the stuff you're saying is resonating with them and stuff like that, like having the video is a lot closer to mimicking the in-person experience. Totally. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And we never did video during my work from home job either. It was all audio. And I think that would have probably helped people a lot with changing that cultural norm around like, you know, do work from home people actually do as much work. Um, because their TV is nearby or no one's watching them, you know? But I, I don't know. And there's so much talk about, like, you know, great managers are ones that, like, don't need to be watching over the shoulder of their employees all the time. So, like, whether you're in the office or whether you're not in the office, like, there should be an effort to, like, help people be self-motivated to, to do their work, and that really shouldn't be a... Um, an issue uh i forget where i was going with that but um it's okay i have a thought um you made a comment about like i think you said something along the lines of you'd like zoom free days or or periods where you're not on in meetings uh because i've thought about this too what what's your ideal amount of time in your mind that you're in meetings versus doing independent work I think it depends on your job and the kind of personality you are. Like I'm, I'm an ambivert, so I'm like pretty like 50% introvert, 50% extrovert. And I actually think that that ladders up pretty well with the percentage that I'd want to be on call versus not. Like this is me personally, but like I find mornings are like the time where I'm, where I have like my best thinking and like the most uh, kind of creative time where I like to just concentrate and like get stuff done and. Um, actually do work but i then very quickly have this need to like talk to people and like engage with people and because my brain doesn't work as well in the afternoon that's like a great time to to do that um and i find it very energizing and motivating and um it's interesting because i'm finding now i'm getting a lot of that through interacting with this um this slack group for my pre-mba class that i'm getting in a way that i don't even think i got at work where i was mostly interacting with like just my direct manager and a few cross-functional partners and even then most of the time i was interacting with cross-functional partners like the expectation is that you would come into the office to, to do that on your like one or two days a week that it was expected you to come in so 
Um, so yeah, I think it, the, the, the short answer is it depends. The long answer is you, you have to reflect and think about what's important to you and, and what you want to spend your time doing. Like, I think if you're like an author, I doubt you want to be on Zoom like at all. Um, and you just want to be a hundred percent working on your craft. Um, but if you're a manager and you have teams reporting into you and you don't actually do anything, then you probably have to be okay, especially if you're going to be running a team, like be okay with being on Zoom uh, like eight hours a day. So I don't know. It's it's tough. So for you personally, are you 50, you, you'd like something like 50-50? Yeah, maybe like 60-40, I would say, just to like give some buffer, like if we're including like lunch in there. So like, I don't know, an ideal day, like let's say I have nine to noon or like, yeah, let's say nine to noon working on like my own um, projects. Like that's when I have my best thinking time, whatever, maybe half an hour to an hour for lunch. And then like 1 p.m. to like 4 p.m. for Zoom time and then like an hour to catch up on like email or any other asynchronous communication that um, uh, is, is part of the job. So like, I guess that nets out to probably like 35 to 40%. And do you, would you prefer it all uh, bunched together or, or split out? So it's all alternating. I think bunch together. There's this great um, hologram essay, like maker schedule versus man, uh, manager schedule, um, where he talks about how like basically makers see their days in like full half blocks, but managers see their their like each half day as still blocks, whereas managers see like can can infinitely divide time to like what suits their needs. Basically, so you can have like you know twelve blocks in your day because you're not necessarily making anything so you don't need that concentration so i think if you're in that type of role which i'm not um that would be like that would make sense but like given the situation that i'm in now where like you know working on like independent projects um like i i I feel batching is a lot better way to not break your attention especially to you know, I'm experimenting and trying to do more of like using less digital tools and distracting tools that it's like, if I feel okay, like disconnecting my Wi-Fi for three hours, so I can like get stuff done and feel like there's not going to be any repercussions for that. That would be a great situation versus like, you know, if I have like my personal time from nine to nine forty-five, but then like a zoom call from like nine forty-five to 10 30. And like, I have to talk to someone before that call like make sure we're aligned on something before we talk to everyone else, then I can't do that. So TLDR, I like batching better than uh, uh, individual scheduling blocks. And before, before we started recording, you mentioned using black and white uh, to, to cut back or reduce the addictiveness of tech. And you mentioned now you're trying to limit tech. Any other, any other, uh tools you use or or things you you do you mentioned right now disconnecting from wi-fi yeah i mean i think it's like about making decisions like like eliminating the number of decisions the eliminating the amount of decisions that you have to make so it's like if you just disconnect wi-fi then you don't have the option of like, oh, should I be checking email or should I be on Facebook right now or should I be scrolling my Twitter feed? It's like, oh, I can't do that. So I may as well just do work instead. So I think do it like just shutting off your Wi-Fi or shutting off your data helps a lot with that. It just forcing you to do something else and like almost like forcing you to like take the plunge into cold water, even though it like sucks in the beginning. It's like once you get in the pool, you're fine. Um, and I'm like referring to doing work. Um, so yeah, I mean, not too many other tips. I mean, I'd recommend, like I read, what's inspired all of this is reading this book, Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport, um, and who's also the author of Deep Work. And he just talks about a lot of the reasons why, you know, technology main, like overuse of technology and allowing ourselves to like be subject to the kind of distracted nature of uh, like, you know, all the distractions it presents. Uh, why it's really not good for like our sense of fulfillment in the long run. 
Um, and he makes a pretty compelling case. But I think like relating this back to the remote work conversation, that's going to be a really interesting challenge for people is that if more and more people are working remotely, how do you create that space for people to like not be connected or be unplugged? Like at work, if someone's in a meeting, we respect that they're in a meeting room and we're not going to bug them, right? So how do we do the same thing? And I think Jason Fried from Basecamp has some pretty good stuff on that. But I think that'll be a cultural norm of like, you know, if everybody's working from home, why can't you respond to my message immediately? Um, so, so yeah. But in terms of like tips and tricks, that book is really good. You know, just disconnecting your Wi-Fi, turning your phone in black and white. I also deleted Safari from my phone. Like first I deleted the social app and then I found I was just logging into all the social sites on Safari. So I just deleted Safari and then a minor hack is that like so an issue that that presented was when i got like a cool link on an email it would open up safari but when you get rid of safari you can't open the link like the link just doesn't go anywhere but a, a cheat code for that is with the gmail app it has like a browser embedded into it so like i categorize i have like this folder a bunch of rules in my email where i categorize all these newsletters that i like and if there's an external link like i'll use gmail but for like everyday email, I'll use Outlook as like a separate client. Um, because I know if I click a link from there, it actually won't go anywhere and I, it won't distract me. It's like a super weird system uh, and maybe not the most like efficient or productive, but um, that's what I do. I have, I have so many questions. Do you, <laughs> so do you not Google search on your phone? I mean, in an ideal world where, you know, like I'm perfectly compliant with this. I don't Google search on my phone, but you know, there'll be times where, you know, I'm, I'm like with my partner or something and I'm watching a TV show and I'm like, Oh, where's that actor from? And I'll redownload Safari and look it up on IMDb <laughs> or one little thing that I've found helps too, or maybe not little thing, but if you have a tablet, maybe like reserving Safari for that and using that as your like, like look up oh i need the information now vehicle but it's you know pre-covid not something you carry with you everywhere so you're not like distracted on the fly um like that's a like that could be a solution too but like i think overall the key theme is like how do you kind of architect your own choices in a way that limits you from going down like a distracting rabbit hole I wanna, I wanna ask you more, but we're at seven thirty. Do you, do you have a few more minutes, or do you wanna? Oh yeah, for sure. No, no, sure? I, I have a few more minutes. Yeah, all good. Okay, I wanna ask you. So the, the uh, disconnecting your Wi-Fi is that a? Do you have a kind of routine around that yet, or is it ad hoc? Um, it's it's ad hoc. So like you know. Because like I'm also like preschool right now and I don't have like a day-to-day job. Um, it, I, I'm a little bit easier on myself, but in time, like for instance, I was working on like one document today and I was like, I just need to concentrate. Like I, I went into my um, Wi-Fi settings and just like turned it off um, or like do not disturb I find works. One thing too is if you turn off wi-fi and data from your phone but you allow calls and you kind of like let your like close family members and friends know that like you know if my if you text me and it goes green and you really need to talk to me just give me a call instead uh that's something that i found has worked well but like all of that said i haven't been super compliant recently but like this is like my kind of ideal state of of how i would be if i was 100 percent productive all the time and if I was really forced in the corner where I had to be as well. Cool. Uh, okay, maybe maybe the last thing I just wanted to ask you, you you mentioned like once you're managing more, you feel you feel like you're more likely to just be in meetings eight hours a day, which I agree, at least that's what that's what I seem that's what it looks like when I look at the senior people within Telus. They seem well. At least their ca- their calendars are always fully booked. So either they're they're smart and they're blocking off independent work time, but my hunch is that most days they're just in meetings eight hours a day, which um, 
I guess, like for some people, they might like that. For me personally, I feel like I'm similar to you where I'm in between an introvert and extrovert and I like that balance. And like you made a comment when you're managing people, you you have to do more of that, which is fair. But I still feel like there's value no matter, even if you're the CEO of a company, like having independent work can be, can be valuable. I, I totally agree. Right. And like, I think so there's a couple of examples that I think of like, A, if you think about someone who's like a venture capitalist, let's say, or any kind of investor, theoretically, they could fill their entire day with like different pitches, try to capitalize on like whatever the next Uber or next big thing. Um, but a lot of them actually spend a lot of time reading and just doing research and developing content as like a way to like make their thinking clearer. Or even like the classic Warren Buffett example where like he barely has any of his scheduled books every single week because he says no to everything. Um, and even I remember watching a video like about Mark Cuban and he actually conducts almost all his business from email. Like he hates being on calls. Um, so I think maybe they're just super prescient in like understanding that being in meetings all day is like not the most productive thing and asynchronous communication can be a little bit more productive. I think it becomes tough when those are the senior executives who are like cascading that culture down to the rest of the organization and that's what you're kind of working towards. But I do, I mean, this is just my own, you know, personal point of view that like just because you're a manager doesn't mean you shouldn't also be a doer. And like they're, everybody should have a doing component of their job. Um, like I even think about, you know, working for my uh, dad's small business uh, when I was like 17 years old, you know, when he had nothing to do, when we were taking care of like putting scrap metal into boxes, he would pull out a broom and he would sweep, right? Um, not always like, oh, the workers are doing whatever they want. I'm just going to sit and like play Tetris on my phone. Um, like there's always something to do. Um, so it's an interesting comment of what you say about like because it was definitely the case in my old company too where it was like a prized possession if you could get time on other people's calendars uh who are higher up in the organization they always felt overwhelmed and overworked you know to be super quick with what you wanted to say too and just like not a great experience for anyone involved so i don't know um yeah i hope the norms change any uh, in closing, anything you kind of wanted to discuss that we we didn't get to? Let me see my word doc. Um, I don't think so. Like, I think we covered off pretty much everything. Let me just see. I have like a list of kind of wins and fails from remote work. Um, cool. Oh yeah, one of the only things that I think we didn't talk about uh, was about like the substitution for community. So we talked a little bit about how, you know, um, people would start building communities outside cities. But I think too, there's this kind of like destructive culture that exists in a lot of like like startup circles of like you know that like your work is your family. And I think that is not like the best like life framework long-term for a lot of people. And I think if you work from home and there's less pressure to be in the office and be best friends with the people in your office, you, you have more time and more opportunity to do things that are more fulfilling for you, whether that's like spending time with your family or doing a book club meetup that, you know, previously you wouldn't have been able to do because you had to drive 45 minutes from Markham um back home uh every single day uh or to and from every single day so uh i guess one thing that i'm like most optimistic for and like if you can talk about this conversation a huge advocate for remote work is because it frees people up to like bucket their life into a way or bucket segments of their life into a way that they can like optimize for fulfillment so that would be kind of the only thing that i think we didn't um talk about um and i I mean we went a little bit into what some of the downsides of remote work are maybe we didn't explore it too fully because i was kind of giving counterpoints for everything but um but i think that could be you know if you were to do this topic with someone else and they see it differently that could be an interesting other source of discussion cool no that's a good point uh eight hours a day is a long time to spend on one thing and when you add commuting 
it can become 10 hours a day. And I guess that's time away from family and friends. So I guess saving those two hours can be pretty huge. Um, and no, you bring up a interest, like a good point around it. I think it's, I think it's a balance between, um, wanting like a workplace. You want to like the people you work with, but you don't also want to feel like it's your, in, your entire life and you can't do anything else. Exactly. Healthy boundaries. Just like yeah. anything else. Right. Yeah. Um, cool. yeah. Awesome. This is a great discussion though. I, I, I loved, uh, that I got a chance to kind of voice a lot of this stuff out loud beyond the, like the medium article that I was working on. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it. I hope, I hope this helps with it a bit. Yeah, for sure. And um, if you get it out before, before I post this in a few weeks, then I'll, I'll put the link in the episode description. You, you've now given me uh, an incentive. A little motivation. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. All right. We'll take care. My pleasure. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Can I Ask You a Question? If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you left a rating on iTunes or Google Podcasts or wherever you're listening from so that more people like you can discover it. Also, it'd be super helpful if you'd be willing to leave some feedback on any ideas you have for improving future conversations using the link in this episode's description. Thanks again and see you next time.